Hello, and welcome to the Homeland Podcast. Step out to find out it's wet and warm, wet and warm. Tra-la-la, 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 tra-la-la. If you could, would you? That's the question the Block Project asks us to confront. If you could help someone experiencing homelessness, would you? And not just help by sharing your pocket change or buying some food, but would you by sharing one of the most valuable things about you, where you live? With its network of successful professionals, its excessive food and materials, and its scenes of safety, would you share, literally, your backyard? Today, we're going to hear from the architects Jennifer Lafreniere and Rex Holbein, who haven't just designed a home, but are trying to design a way to integrate people who have experienced homelessness into stable neighborhoods. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jennifer and Rex, this is like such a privilege for me because we run in the same circles. We're all designers, but like I feel like I haven't actually gotten to sit down with you and talk about what you've been working on. Um, I've known about facing homelessness for years, and Rex, that's that's been your baby for years, and been so excited by it, and it seems like such an amazing project. And when the press started rolling out about the Block Project, and Jennifer, I heard you speak a couple weeks ago about it, it's one of those things that when you read about it, it just makes so much sense on the face of it. And you kind of think, why hasn't anyone does, done this before? So I'm really interested to talk to you guys as designers, as people who care about issues surrounding the most vulnerable members of our community. What brought you to the table? And beyond that, it seems like your design efforts aren't about spaces as much as they are about community. And what brought you to that place? What was that evolution? Well, first of all, thank you, thank you for having us. Uh, we're excited to talk to you about this and excited about uh, what you're doing. Um, I'll let you explain a little bit more about yeah. the thoughts behind The beginning it. of it? Yeah. So, and again, I would say, as Jennifer just said, thank you for giving us this opportunity to talk about this. Um, the ability to get the message out is um, is so key, right? The idea by itself, if it just sits on a shelf, it's, it's nothing. And so the more people talk about it, the more engaged conversations that we have, about this issue, um, the more it becomes part of the mainstream discussion. So, um, thank you. You know, I think the Block Project um, grew really out of out of facing homelessness to begin with, just as an idea, not not the literal uh, kind of thought of a of a small home in the backyard of residential lots. That was a discussion that Jen and I actually um, in in these beautiful little conversations came to. But but. The general idea for facing homelessness is that while government, nonprofits, religion are doing really beautiful work to address um, the issue of homelessness, it is not going to be enough unless community gets involved. So that's that's just the the number one premise is that that if we want to really see uh, homelessness ended, we have to look first towards ourselves and to our families and neighbors and and create a community response. Um, it's a proximity issue. The closer you get to any social justice issue, the more you feel, the more you feel, uh, the more you want to take action. And that's a really simple formula and it works. 
So, um, and we've seen that with Facing Homelessness in our Just Say Hello campaign, um, with all the people that we meet through the Facebook page um, and the Instagram page uh, that come to our organization. They're all saying the same thing. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know if I just actually begin, um, I can do something, I can get involved. So from that basic idea, Jen and I began to talk about this project as architects and, and said, what can we do? How can we actually build on that thought of bringing people closer? And, um, and from that came this idea that you know, we, we could design a small home to take advantage of the detached accessory dwelling unit zoning, allowing up to an 800 square foot home in the backyard of residential lots. And, um, and then it just took off. We had uh, weekly meetings. Um, maybe Jen, you can, if you want, can describe the, the actual project. Yeah, well, and I also want to circle back and talk a little bit about the community a little bit more. And that is that, um, you know, right now we s- many people see the issue of homelessness as a, a one larger crisis. And I think that's where the conversation for me really, uh, really sparked was that, you know, we, c- we can't look at it like that because as soon as, it becomes overwhelming and people people can't um, comprehend what the solution would be at that point. And a lot of the time, the only solution is that, oh, well, the government will take care of it or agencies will take care of it. But that's, that's, that's never going to be reality. We're never going to come up with a solution that just solves it instantaneously and, and permanently. And so the idea of, of breaking down the the crisis to manageable parts and spreading it out so that people can um, can solve it on a one by one basis and everyone feels like they're taking part I think for me that's that's really where the block project uh, grew out of and um, like my dad said it's at that point you know from a tangible perspective that means integration so taking these homes and putting integrating them into communities instead of segregating them, you know, further enhances the idea of, of uh, one-on-one and uh, creating a solution individually for yourself and for the person that you're helping versus trying to tackle the larger issue. But going back to what the Block Project... Actually, I'm going to jump in because you, yeah. you opened another whole beautiful part <laughs> of this project, and, and that is that um, so often we think of ending homelessness as fixing the homeless, right? Like solving their problem. And and what Jen just said was, you know, uh, for both the person that's homeless and for the person that's homed. And, and that's a really critical part of this as well, is that we need to realize that we are as much of the problem uh, and we are as much of the solution um, as anybody, including the person that's homeless. Um, we, need, we need to see our part in it. And the blog project by creating that proximity actually allows for that, allows for us to reflect, to see the person, not the issue. And once you see the person, you know, at that point, um, all of our empathy, our compassion, our creative compassion um, has the opportunity to kick in. Um, I think for facing homelessness, the number one thing that we've heard more often than anything is thank you for showing us a way to help. You know, so this really illustrates that we're all compassionate people. We're not not helping because, you know, we don't want to. It's because truly we are struggling with finding a way to help. Um, and we think the Block Project actually provides that, you know, across citywide to every person. 
maybe we should circle back and <laughs> go back to what the block project is. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot about the feelings and the thoughts behind it, um, but the block project is essentially taking a small detached dwelling unit and putting it in the backyard of someone's home. And the goal is that each um, block in the city of Seattle, one lot on that block will have a block home. And so by doing that, we can we can end homelessness. And while we there's a whole different conversation about how the block project isn't the right solution for everyone, we believe that it can it can help um, help with the vast majority of people that are living unsheltered. Uh, and so the idea of putting these small homes in backyards, you are not only utilizing space, so specifically in the city of Seattle, we have a, a density issue right now that um, uh, that by using, if we get creative about how we use unused space, uh, we can we can densify it in a um, a healthy way. So by putting these block homes in the backyards of uh, people's people's backyards, um, we integrate. And so uh, the idea is that instead of I think earlier on you mentioned in the conversation about uh, while there's we fully support things like shelters and low-income housing by taking people and integrating them into uh, healthy communities that are wanting to support and it it breaks down the issue in a physical sense. Um, Also, you know, Jen, you started to mention this too about um, space and land. And one of the, one of the really big issues that people come up against every single time they start talking about housing is, okay, so we've got this great idea, this great building, this great service, where are we going to put it? And, and land, um, and I know this is happening across the United States, but certainly in Seattle, the cost of land is just skyrocketing. Uh, construction costs, uh, existing buildings, and even vacant land when you can find it is, is hugely expensive. Um, so the block project, by putting these in the backyards of residential lots, that land is already there. Um, we've talked about this a lot, that the comparisons are made to Uber and Airbnb, where... You know, Airbnb had to create a paradigm shift where we reimagined our homes as actually a place where we could bring people in. And, and that thought before Airbnb did that, that was crazy, right? Like you're going to bring a stranger into your home, someone you don't know, and then you're going to go to sleep while they're in your house. That, that I think, uh, you know, any time before Airbnb did this, I think you would have asked 100 people and everyone would have said, that's crazy. But yet, now it's completely comfortable. My mom, who's 80 years old on Queen Anne, she has an Airbnb. I mean, and loves it. So uh, Uber did the same thing. And we're, we're really just asking people to look at their backyards and reimagine that this can be more than just your private sanctuary. This can be a place where you could actually make uh, a profound difference uh, for the city with regards to our most vulnerable. So um, the land is there. Um, the second most difficult thing in addressing this, if we're really just talking about literally housing people, is is cost uh, to build homes and to and also the cost of not housing people is is crazy expensive. So we're privately funding this at this point. You know, we so the land and the money issue we've taken away from the formula. Um, what we're really doing is asking all of our community to just open up and and bring this project into uh, into our lives. And, um, and that's really the one, that's the one thing to get over is, you know, I think everybody understands um, what NIMBYism is, you know, not in my backyard. 
um, we are hoping to you know, convert all the NIMBYs. And, and let me be clear too, we are all NIMBYs, every single one of us, right? It's not like some mysterious group over there. We are all NIMBYs. We are all, we all carry a certain amount of fear uh, within us. And I think this project is asking all of us to, to step forward, to, to put our fear aside and see the humanity uh, of this issue and, and do something about it and become a YIMBY, you know, and say yes in my backyard, literally. Fantastic. Well, I want to talk more about the design of the structure itself, but before we do that, say someone is ready to become a Yimby and invite someone into their backyard. How is that connection made? Yeah, so uh, we have, we have, first of all, we, I, we're just super excited because we have people constantly contacting us. Um, you know, it's we haven't made the ask uh, for people to open up their backyards, and we already have um, a like ongoing list yeah. of people wow. that want us to come look at their backyards because they want to know if a couple it, months here. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, and we have four that we're actively yep. in process with. Yeah. So uh, the first one is actually getting constructed this next month, and uh, then there'll be three to follow very quickly, and hopefully. Um, just uh, continue on from there as swiftly as possible. But the the process is essentially if someone is interested in uh, having a, a block home in their backyard, they will approach Facing Homelessness. Facing Homelessness, uh, well, and Block Architects uh, has put together the website for the block project, which has some initial kind of criteria. So you know, square footage of your lot, the, um, uh, the, the um, amenity or the utilities that we, so this, the structure is designed to be off grid, but some lots might not be, you know, allow for that. So there's a, there's a list of things that we've, we've asked people to kind of think about be prior to contacting us. Once that happens, if you feel comfortable moving forward, uh, we are having a, uh, block host, at night several times um, a month that people can come to and learn about what the project is about, what it what it means to be a host, uh, what that entails, and then if people are still interested, they fill out a form and we start doing some analysis on on their lot. Um, and then in addition to that, they will be filling out a uh, questionnaire. And we've actually made this extremely uh, lengthy because <laughs> we we. Um, and my dad can speak to this a little bit more, but a lot of people that are living on the street, you know, they're constantly getting used or get, they're uh, unfortunately used to filling out paperwork or going down a path and then getting shut down from it. And so we really want to limit the amount of work on their end, but we also want to make sure that there's a good connection between the block host and the block resident. And so by having the block host fill out a vast majority of information that then gets passed on to uh, a caseworker and we feel very fortunate to be working with an amazing group of agencies including um, Chief Seattle Club, the Sophia Way, and Mary's Place right now and so all of them are working hard to help um, coordinate with us uh, matching essentially the block home, block host and the block resident. It's, it's one of the really important parts of this project is that we're not just taking someone that's homeless and putting them in the backyard and saying, good luck, 
You know, we are um, we are coming to uh, each of these homes with a caseworker. Um, that person that's going to be living there, the resident, is going to have wraparound care. So, so all of that process of um, addressing the individual's needs are done through that case management agency. Um, one of the things that I think also is important to, to throw into this is that it's called the block project for a reason. We're not we're not just setting up a landlord tenant relationship with a host family and a resident saying, you know, great, you know, good job. You've, you've now housed one more person that was homeless. We're actually bringing in the entire block. And, um, and as Jennifer said, when the questionnaires are filled out and when there is this um, process of matchmaking, we think of it as a match.com almost experience. Um, again, not a landlord tenant relationship, but actually a, a, a you know, the beginnings of a beautiful friendship. Once that's established, then the host family will go with literature to every person on the block and not ask if it's permit if you know if they're okay with this because it is legal. We can do this all per zoning and such, but really invite them to be a part of it and um, and explain you know uh, what what the larger picture of it is. And then there is a evening at that host family's house to um, to air out anything that somebody's worried about. We believe that that this whole fear of the homeless comes from not knowing, not being close enough. And so we want to get ahead of that and, and empower people to ask those questions, to come with anything. Um, and, and if somebody, we've also said this, that if somebody on the block says, you know what, I really am having a problem with this, um, then we won't do it. Mm-hmm. Then And there will be no shaming of that person. No, you know, everyone is in a different place in their life and we're all on a journey, we're all moving forward. Um, what you feel about an issue today might not be how you feel about it tomorrow with a little more information, with a little more exposure. So um, we want to take the time uh, to be careful to, to introduce this project to the city in a step-by-step process. Um, I'll be honest, we had probably our biggest fear early on was people reacting negatively to this idea. And the beautiful thing is that it's been quite the opposite. Um, Every single person that we've mentioned this to has rushed to it. Um, almost every time that we talk about it somewhere, somebody in that group will come to us and say, hey, I think I want one in my backyard. Um, so there is this, you know, this beautiful energy that, that is building. And we know that when the first one um, is built and the first person, which is Robert, uh, is a Native American, um, is housed and um, that story is told, we know that the tangible quality of that will um, help push this project forward in a, in a really beautiful way. I don't know if it was mentioned earlier when you were talking about facing homelessness, but the one of the biggest points of this is breaking down the neg- negative stereotype of, of homelessness. And so by, once again, t- going back to the one-on-one, you know, putting uh, someone in someone's backyard really breaks down... Um, the the stereotype and you start to get to know that person as a person and so that goes down the same path as what my dad was just saying about the more you know and the more you're educated the the better uh, a choice you can make and so that's what we really believe is the, the more we can get the word out there the more we can educate people the more interaction that they can have specifically with with people that are living unsheltered and that are homeless we believe that they will become supportive so the the idea you know not only is this a community building project not as only is this is a housing the homeless project but it's 
really the at the core is breaking down the stereotype. Right, and breaking down the stigma, it would seem like. I mean, it'd be really interesting to have a conversation with Robert in a couple months from now. And does he feel like a member of that community? Absolutely. Have, have the ideals that, that you all have, have laid yeah. the groundwork for, have they come to fruition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like when you say groundwork because... Uh, this whole project, you know, we, we feel, and maybe it's just the architects in us, but building a solid foundation is going to be the success of this project. So really making the community comfortable making, um, the, the, um, the system work from a kind of at the base, you know, we can't just throw people into, into housing and say, hope it works, you know, cross our fingers. Well, we know it doesn't work. That's the other part of it, too. Yeah, so tying back to the idea of the matchmaking and the really educating the community and all of that, that is what we believe is going to be the success of this project. So it's yeah. it's the time and the energy that the community can spend uh, versus the uh, you know agencies and government and whatnot right now that they just don't have that bandwidth. You know, they can't. They, their biggest concern is, is getting someone into housing, rightfully so, but, you know, there's not that, uh, that foundation laid to make that, that trans, the transfer successful. Yeah, that this is actually really why community is so important. All those little moments that, that the one-on-one relationships that are outside of the task of a social worker, caseworker, mental health counselor, drug dependency, parole, all the things that are, that are part of our society that are needed to process, um, but don't really bring in the kind of intangible moments, the, that little second of a connection, or somebody actually saying, you know, that uh, relaying that they love them, that they, they've become such an important friend in their life. You know, these little things... Um, it sounds cliche, but it really is what makes the difference. And, and we believe, you know, we believe that this project's going to allow for that. I, you know, I'm going to give you a really quick example. We're in the process of still designing this, but we are, we are also wanting, um, Jennifer mentioned that the homes are completely off-grid. All of the energy comes from the sun. All of the water, including, including, the, including drinking water, comes from water catchment and purification. And all of the waste is taken care of on site with with composting toilet and gray water subsurface irrigation. Um, and also, as Jen said, not every home will make use of that, but that's the design intent. Um, we also hope to put two exercise bicycles at every uh, block home, and they will be connected up to the battery for the home so that um, people can come down and actually do exercising there and actually literally physically give back to this person in the, in the form of energy. Um, when we when we see this project comprising hundreds or potentially thousands of these homes around the city, we also are in the process of working through um, uh, uh, an app that will identify where all of the block home exercise bikes are, and and we're we're still in the process of this, but um, that that app will connect that person with other block residents. So we talk about community and and bringing them together, but also with people on the block. So that let's say I'm living in Beacon Hill and I'm, I'm a resident in a block home and I need to get downtown. I can put on that little app to everyone that's on it. Hey, I need a ride downtown. Uh, it's almost an Uber type moment, right? That's free. It says, and somebody on the block can say, hey, you know what? I've got a meeting downtown in an hour. I can take you. 
and uh, or I need my laundry done or I need groceries or you know whatever it is that can connect community we want to start to kind of like seed that and keep feeding it um, um, we see this as an ongoing process not just one and done and okay good luck see ya and I think that it ties back to facing homelessness's goal and what they what they get so much praise for is that the they open up the opportunity for people to give back. And so I think everyone wants to give back, you know, deep down. It, it makes you grow as a person. It makes you feel good. Um, but a lot of the time it comes down to either time or uh, money. And a lot of the time people don't have either. And, and so getting creative about how people can give back is also really exciting opening up lots of opportunities for people. Um, I so, made too much lasagna for dinner. I can walk down the alley and, and give it to Robert. Say, hey, Robert, you know, or I can even give him a call and say, Robert, I, I'm, are, you, do you, are you making anything for dinner or not? I made too much. Um, those little moments that don't really require a lot from us can mean a lot uh, to each other when we engage. And I think um, it's also, you know, everyone has an amazing skill set, you know, and people's skill set it varies, you know. And so the idea that people can tap into their specific skills and what they're good at and give back in that way uh, is really exciting. You know, a lot of people uh, have can provide opportunities or provide support in some other way than what you would typically, typically think of. Um, and when I say opportunities, that also, you know, that's really exciting because when you segregate people that are looking to, for to to get up off their feet, you know, the when you segregate them, the opportunities are limited. And but when you then integrate them into a community that's looking to help, suddenly you have so many doors that are open for you. Um, and you know, the person, the per, the host, or the, sorry, the resident that's living there can obviously choose which way to go, but it gives them the chance to explore different things versus um, getting kind of shoved in one direction, which is typically what happens when they're segregated. Sure, sure. Which can be which can be a downward spiral in many cases. Yep. Exactly. Which, which typically is. Yeah. Like the, the trauma of being homeless is as as bad as the trauma of becoming too homeless. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, well I want to talk about the design aspect of it and the process of designing this home for someone. What was that process like? How did you engage with this community? Because um, there's there's two communities. There's both the regulatory community, there's the single-family homeowner community, and then there's the person who you're trying to house community. Yeah. How did that process come about, and what was the final result? Talk a little bit more about the structure itself. Yeah, um, so I have a few things to say. And the first one is that, you know, one of the biggest ideas behind this this small house is that we want to make it as barrier free as possible for people, um, host families that want one in their backyard. So you get you know automatically that shrinks the size. We and just puts, to reduce scale. Yeah, just to, to it's it's pretty daunting. You know, the bigger you get, the less people are going to be interested in giving their backyard. Um, and on that same barrier note, the idea behind making it completely off-grid is that you don't have to hook up to utilities. It's essentially a fixture that you then place in someone's backyard. So that <clears throat> that right there kind of gave us those two big design elements. Um, 
And then we came to, you know, from a designer's perspective and efficiency and keeping costs down, we wanted to make them as efficient as possible. And so I've been, we've been calling them these little core pieces. And so this is version one. And we believe that there'll be more versions to come depending on the person's, you know, available space or how many people are living there. Um, but version one, we want to keep all the expensive elements in the same spot so that these things can be prefabbed offsite uh, and then in a panelized system and then brought to the, the site to be constructed. Um, so you've got a composting toilet, small shower, kitchenette, uh, and little storage area and a trundle bed, and then a small porch area. So covered porch, covered porch, <laughs> and um, uh, tying back to the off grid aspect of it, it is very. It's a kind of a passive design, so very heavily insulated on three sides, and then that's the southern exposure is a large window wall um, to help uh, with daylight and heat gain and whatnot. So I think those those are huge driving factors, and then obviously. Um, my dad can talk to, speak to this a little bit, but you know, what, what is necessary for someone who's living unsheltered? I know that, uh, the idea of the covered porch and whatnot. Yeah. I think the thing that, um, the thing that, that probably drove our, our design decisions more than anything, um, was understanding that this home would have to be something that we would be willing to move into. Too often people solve um, issues for, you know, for the, the task at hand and forget that, that that person, even though they are sleeping outside right now and they have nothing, um, we didn't believe it was acceptable to give them something that was just an improvement on that. We didn't, we didn't want them to just, in other words, give them shelter. We wanted, we wanted to bring enough design, enough, uh, feeling to it that they would take pride in it, that, um, and in fact, um, we've talked about this a lot, that you're taking somebody who is really, you know, seen as the bottom rung of our society, is really cast out. And we wanted to not just shelter them, we actually wanted to move them all the way up to the top of the ladder so that when they move on the block, their home is the most forward-thinking home on the block. Technologically, it has it, it takes care of the planet far better than any of the other homes. We wanted to make it... Um, beautiful. We wanted to create a sense that when people came to visit, they were like, wow, this is really nice. And, and from that, um, you know, the, uh, the pride and the desire to want to be a part and not seen as other, um, I think goes a long ways. Um, that's the beauty of design, right? That's the power of design is, is making something not only efficient and functional, but something that really speaks to you and, and makes you feel good to be there. Um, yeah. I think this is um, too often. Too often, design is really left for people that are very wealthy, and um, we haven't quite figured out how we're getting paid yet. But <laughs> which is the crux of designing for clients that don't have money. But um, but we also see this as something much larger. This is really part of our social fabric, uh, the health of community, and and um, so we wanted to put something there, not only functional but beautiful as well. I think tying to so we're we've created block architects and from from that the block project has come about and I think the the idea behind block architects is really we want to 
take on projects that give back. And so every project that we take on is how does it give back? And a lot of projects that we take on from here on out, you know, I think in a lot of ways can tie loop back into the block project. You know, if if you're building something, can you can you give a little bit of extra to to build something kind of a home for a home almost? You know, if you're building a building a house, would you be interested in helping um, provide a house for someone else? So we're really excited about the idea of uh, taking on design projects and asking ourselves with each individual one, how is this helping people? And if if we can't come up with an answer, we we get creative and see how um, how we can talk yeah, through. It we with want the that client. conversation with our clients. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I think it would be easy for us as designers to trip into is um, is how do we as designers actually make a difference? How, you know, where where does that, um, how, do, how does that really happen? And I think that's a valid question for any profession, any line of work. You know, how do we, often in the Facing Homelessness um, office, we, we get volunteers that want to come and work. And we want to volunteer for you, you know, we love what you're doing. And... And we're we're a three person organization right now. We don't we don't have a lot of things for people to do. Um, but that's a little bit by design. We've we've talked about not wanting to be the bottleneck, and that we want people to be empowered to go out and do something themselves. And so we ask these two questions: of what are you good at, and what are you passionate about? We believe that if you're doing what you're good at, um, and you're doing something that you're passionate about, you'll you'll obviously make a difference because you're good at it, and you'll stick with it because you're passionate about it. So. In this kind of sense, Jennifer and I, as, as architects, are, are engaging into this issue with something that we're good at and something that we're passionate about. Um, and I think, I think it's important um, uh, as designers that we, we don't get too much in our head. This is one of the problems with, I'm just going to say a blanket statement here, so I'm, I'm, I know I'm already 50% wrong, but, but architects as uh, architecture as a mix between engineering and art, right, and finding the balance between those two worlds, often we can get very in our heads about the architectural solution. And we have to remember that we're human beings. We have to remember that, you know, our feelings and, and, and we're taught as architects to remember our clients and, and not get too analytical about solutions. And, and this is the thing that I think um, is important as we push forward in solving some of these social justice issues is, is to remember kind of our humanity and remember that as designers, you know, what is the human part of this? Because the pull to make things beautiful is very seductive, right? And, and we can lose sight that what trumps that, what really is more important than that, is, is to make sure that it, it fits and that it, it allows that human being to have a better life. And, and often that's, that's one and the same. Beauty does that for all of us. But it's got to function, it's got to fit. And, um, and we feel that's, that's one of the guiding principles that we brought to the blog project. We wanted that person to, you know, to feel like they fit there, that they, and that that home fit in the backyard, um, you know, that it wasn't trying to make too much of a statement this way or that way. Um, we still think it's beautiful, but, but, but it's very, very important to us that it can evolve and move to be a human response. So if I was to invite you to put out a challenge to designers, colleagues who are interested in this type of a project, what would that challenge be? I, 
I'll, that's a tough question, right? Because I think it's a personal question. First of all, I I believe um, I believe first of all, designers are unique people. I mean, um, we all have our niche, but one of the things designers in general, landscape architects, you know, architects, graphic designers, industrial designers, urban planners, um, we're basically all taught to use the design process. We we create a program and we methodically go through. What is it that we're solving, and and um, and then we insert our feelings and our aesthetics and all that, right? But there is a beautiful process to problem solve that we all make use of, and I think that on this issue specifically of homelessness, we first of all can begin to bring that conversation to our clients. Um, uh, how does that show up in all of our work? I don't I don't believe we need. To be, you know, to be honest, we don't need a whole bunch of architects right now designing block homes. You know, um, that's that would be wonderful, but that's not really the critical path here. I think, I think people that are engaged in the design world need to ed- help educate our clients, uh, the rest of our society, on how design can be used to make the world a better place for everyone. For instance, if you are designing a larger building, let's say downtown. Would you be willing, would your client be willing to give over space for locker storage that might have street access? Um, would there be, would there be an ability to create an outdoor um, bathroom, access bathroom that would be within the building's, con, you know, uh, confines? Um, I think there are, there are a lot of things that designers can, can bring to this conversation to problem solve, to make life easier for people that are struggling. So what does success look like for you guys as you look out five, ten years from now? What what is your ideal behind the sky best case scenario that's happening? God, that makes me smile. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're both sitting here smiling. You can't see it, but um, I, I for me, and we, you know, we haven't talked about this, I think, in depth, but is that you know we we're we're in Seattle, and so specifically for Seattle is that the blog project has really transformed the negative stereotype and and communities are excited about um, the idea of uh, are more engaged in people engaged in helping people that are less fortunate um, and you know from a tangible sense uh, that there are possibly thousands of block homes in the city of Seattle and that it is then spread throughout the country, we've we've had lots of interest even from other cities um, that have heard about the project. And you know, right now I think we're on a, okay, let's just get the first few built before we start to expand. But that is a huge part of our conversation right now is how will this expand? Because the amount of um, interest and um, positive feedback that we've gotten makes us realize that this will um, grow very quickly as soon as we've got the, we've solidified the, the process. And so in my mind in five, 10 years, we, we have expanded to other cities. And right now that's a discussion about whether we as, a, as block architects um, help manage those other cities or if we are simply kind of uh, education um, for other cities to, uh, to, to model, to model off of. Um, but we're, we're excited about this spreading and hopefully like wildfire, uh, we, we see a lot of success in it. We're very excited. Yeah, I would agree completely. I, I think, 
I think right now there is um, a lot of effort that is going on, uh, not only by Jen, myself, Sarah, and Sarah in the Facing Homelessness office as well, um, but a lot of people that have come to this project, um, from Turner to all the the, cons- the contractor to all the engineers, uh, the agencies. We 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 keep saying now, wow, um, it takes a community to build a community project, right? And and I think a lot of that effort that's going on right now is going into taking a, putting in a lot of care into each and every step. Um, we we know that this is going to be successful, but we also know that we're pushing up against a lot of fear um, about this issue, and we have to get through that. Success, I think, also looks like once we get through that, and, our, and a large part of our energy is no longer trying to get everyone to come along with this idea, but rather that we are all on board and we're now just um, you know, implementing it. We are putting homes in one after the other, um, and not just one on a block, but maybe multiple on a block. We've, we've had early conversations about once we crest over into that paradigm shift where people are very comfortable in putting homes in their backyard to help someone who's um, more vulnerable or struggling, that it could then later transfer into people helping people that have um, disabilities or um, the elderly. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of options here for this to kind of address anyone in need. The one thing that we're very solid on is we don't want them to become these market rate backyard, um, you know, um, Airbnbs, so to speak. Um, this is a social justice uh, movement that, that we're engaged in. And I think, I think success looks like when we're, we're in full swing of it. And I think to your point about the, it, it's not necessarily about homelessness. I mean, that's what our, our focus is right now. But the whole idea about the block project is that it's a community building project and promotes empathy. So whether in five, 10 years, if homelessness has actually been resolved to, to a greater extent, you know, uh, that it will continue on past the issue of homelessness, that the block project that is, while it's a huge factor, is not the, the core. And, and we love the idea of the block homes can continue to be built, it, even if there isn't someone that's unsheltered moving into them. It's someone who is maybe disabled. They're, maybe they're refugees. I mean, there are there are so many options for us to reach out and, and be of help. One of the things we're really excited about right now is that Mary's Place um, has agreed to become an agency for us on this. And they want to put uh, young women who have just had a baby and who are currently being put out into cars, right, or on the street. Um, it's a horrible situation. Uh, you know, I can't just keep from smiling deeply to myself when I think of a a young woman with a newborn coming onto a block and suddenly having that whole block full of aunties and grandmas and grandpas that all want to rush forward to to be there for that young woman who's just had a child. Um, This is how community is supposed to be. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, makes us all feel good. It's, it's, um, It's like, you know, as an architect, if you mention a covered porch, whoever disagrees with a covered porch, right? Like you just, that's just not possible. Well, we believe that when people are given the opportunity to engage in this way, that it's going to evoke the same feelings about how this is how we want to live. This is how we want to live um, with each other. I think the city, it's, <laughs> it's unfortunate that, so my husband and I, for instance, have lived on our block for about five years now. And 
it's crazy that we don't know a lot of our neighbors. I mean, these are people that you live right next to and that, you know, can be a support system. And, but lives get crazy and, you know, it's, it's the armature isn't there um, to make that connection. And so we, we're really excited about the block homes, not only connecting the, the, the resident, the block resident with the neighbors, but also the neighbors with the neighbors. And yeah. uh, we see it as, you know, whether it's through the app or through um, just conversations about the block home, the people on the block will, will start to, to make, form those relationships. Yeah, pull together. I also want to take a, a brief moment to just give a little thanks because um, we're very fortunate here in this city, in Seattle. Um, homelessness is an issue that is, that is, of course, affecting every city, I'm sure, across America. Um, and the, and the, the political climate, the community climate um, range all over the board with their relationship to the issue of homelessness. Facing Homelessness as a nonprofit, has licensed its logo to do the same photo journal project that we have on Facebook and Instagram to 10 other cities right now. And so I get to be in conversation with those cities. And I just got off the phone with, with uh, Mike Homner in Denver. And, you know, their, their political climate is, is more difficult. Um, he's up against a lot more, um, you know, uh, I would say obstacles. And with us, you know, when we first mentioned this to Mike O'Brien and Sally Bagshaw, they both jumped all over it. Um, and and I, I'm going to give a special thanks to Sally Bagshaw. I know you've talked to her as well in a previous podcast. She has opened so many doors for us uh, from the head of the billing department, the health department, uh, right on down the line. So we're operating also in a city that is searching for answers. And, and um, that includes the mayor's office as well. Um, so... We, are, we feel fortunate that this idea is birthed in a place that is ready to accept it as well. Well, and while we're on the thanks topic... <laughs> it's, a, it's a long list. Yeah, we have a lot of things to give. Um, you have to be like an Oscar speech and <laughs> yeah. play us off at some point. <laughs> just trail off with it. Yeah, <laughs> just play it in the background. <laughs> well, you know, we should start with the landscape architect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but... Uh, we, we do have a long list of people that have come to help us, and it's been absolutely incredible. And every time we leave a meeting or we get off the phone with someone, we, we're just giddy with how, how much support we're getting. Um, but Turner Construction to, has been absolutely incredible. Um, they're building uh, the first four, uh, the laborers pro bono, and they've been helping us throughout pricing and material and product selection and everything. It's, it, they've been great. FSI engineering consulting uh, has been incredible doing all the mechanical and plumbing engineering and uh, was one of the first to come to the table and has been 100% supportive throughout. Um, Herrera. Herrera, uh, Civil, and Allworth Landscape, uh, Euroclimb uh, Window Company. Um, the Seattle Solar. Um, uh, we're going to get in trouble because now we're going to get in trouble. Possible. Uh, the cloud room. The cloud room, yes. Well, I mean, actually, I think this is a perfect segue into if people want to learn more about mm. the project and see all those community partners, yeah. how, how can they learn more? And if someone wanted to bring this to their community, 
what's that pathway or is there a pathway? So I'm going to direct um, them to the Block Project website, which is the-block-project.com or .org. And uh, specifically about the, the partners, uh, we do have a partners and testimonials page uh, that we encourage people to look at. But uh, if you're interested in bringing it to your community, we have a community page that discusses the general criteria of, of bringing this to your community and and also on the web page on the web page and in addition to that uh, if if you're not able to prov provide your backyard for one of these projects we do have um, other options about how you can reach out and, and donate and um, things we're looking for so uh, we we encourage people to start there it explains the project, shows the, the floor plan of the house and a, a render. Um, yeah, I would also ask everyone to get on Facebook and, and begin following, if you don't already, um, Facing Homelessness on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I would encourage everybody to just say hello. You know, it, this is a journey. Basically, when we talk about community getting involved, we talk about it as a journey. And it's a personal journey, and you have to just take that first step. Um, just saying hello to someone that is a stranger outside that is struggling um, is a beautiful way to begin that. Um, and the Facebook page, Facing Homelessness, is also a way for you to read, read about people that are outside and, and, and begin to get to know a little about their lives, and that's where it starts. Yeah. Jennifer and Rex, thank you so much for having this conversation. I wish you all the success in the world, not only in building a block house on every block in Seattle, but a building a better community. It's truly astounding what you guys are doing, and thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Homeland Project. We invite you to learn more about the project at homelandlab.com. Our work would not be possible without the support of MIGSVR and the Landscape Architecture Foundation's Innovation and Leadership Fellowship. To learn more about the tremendous work of LAF, please visit their website at lafoundation.org. Finally, we want to thank our friends at Yves for the use of their music. You can learn more about the band and find out about their debut album at the Sound of Y V E. S.com.